All right, I'll meet you in Matthew chapter 16. I want to share with you today on uh, two different passages from the Gospel of Matthew and bringing together two lines from the Apostles' Creed. Today, I'm going to minister what is probably the most controversial line of the Apostles' Creed in the Evangelical Church. All of us Protestants um, who are birthed from different denominational backgrounds and a lot of people bring a lot of things into this room and a lot of people that watch bring, like I said earlier, we all bring our whole lives, but we bring a lot of religious experience. If you were raised in church environments like me, I wasn't raised with the Apostles' Creed. Um, I was honestly barely raised with the Lord's Prayer because I was raised in environments that so eschewed anything that looked formulaic for fear that it wasn't authentic. I was raised in environments even that wouldn't have had an icon or a candle for fear that it looked outside of your tradition and that you were trying to embrace something else. Well, at this season of my life, I'm not too worried about how things look. I just want to be in an environment where I'm closely connected to the resurrected Christ. And if I have to put myself in an environment that doesn't look like the other spaces of my life, fine. And I'm also have been embracing things like the creed because it connects me to 20 centuries of church thought. It's been vetted by a lot of people to say these are the things that matter the most to us as Christians. And, and, and what's important to me about that is a lot of the things that it, it excludes. You know, there's no geopolitics, there's no culture, there's no personal language and stuff inside of it. It's just... I believe in, and, and it concentrates on the Father, the Creator, and the Son, and His life, and His resurrection, and the Holy Spirit. And then we get into these individual spots, and what is the most controversial for us, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, why is that controversial? Well, it didn't, once I got to the word Catholic, you know why it's controversial, because that's not what we are as a religious heritage. But I think it's controversial because for the most part, we've lost the definitions of these words that predate some of this other stuff. We're not talking about big C Catholic as in a church down the street. We're talking little c. That's the way it's spelled in the creed. And little c Catholic simply means universal. And so what the church has prayed now for 17 or 18 centuries is, we believe there's one universal church. Now, that was pretty simple as the creed was being formulated. It's gotten more complex now because there's not just one church. In fact, and I don't have a number, but if you went just in this little community, there's probably dozens. I was raised in Missouri and my little town in Missouri didn't have 17,000 people in it. And at one point we had 115 churches inside of 17,000 people. I'm not sure if that's low for some parts of the country. It seemed like a lot of churches for so little amount of people. And I'm not bemoaning that there's a lot of churches. I'm simply saying that most of us were raised under the understanding that the church is a building comprised of people, and there are a bunch of them. And most of us were raised in a tradition where ours was right. That's why we went there. If it wasn't right, we'd go to the other one. And we'll go to ours as long as it's good. And then when it's not good, we'll go to another one or we'll start one because we can do it better. 
But the, the message of Christianity is not individual spots. By the way, there are individual church buildings and there are individual church rooms and there's places called the garden where people come together and, and they call it a church because that's what it is. And we're going to talk about what that means today. But overall, there's one universal church, which is the church of Jesus Christ. Why we've been talking about the creed is that I want to emphasize not what we're doing different from all the other churches or from other Christians, but what unifies us to Jesus Christ is faith in who he is, not simply how we do things differently than other people. And so as we proclaim our faith in who he is, we dig deep into the roots of who we are. So look at Matthew 16. Let's begin in verse 13. I want to talk today about, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Because I don't think we can have one without the other. So let's read two passages. Beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples and said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. This, by the way, is the revelatory confession of Christianity. Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. This is it. This is where it begins. This isn't where it ends. All of our journeys began with this, the idea that I've just met Jesus, and he's bigger than just a man. He's the Christ. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The Greek word ecclesia. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. I will build my ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek word for called out ones or gathered together ones. Notice the plural. Gathered together ones. Those who have been gathered together. Jesus says, I will build my church. He doesn't invite me to build the church. He doesn't invite you to build the church. He says he'll do it himself. Go to chapter 18. Let's add to this community. Because technically, there is no church without community. There is no church without the communion of saints. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We're going to leave this for a spell, and I want to bring these two together in a little message in which we talk about the church in community, because there is, again, no church without it. When we talk about church... In scholarly words, let me do just a touch of theology, okay? Sunday mornings are not the place for theology. Too much of it, it's more for practicality. But let me give you a touch of theology. When we talk about the church, we're talking about ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. It's the study of the mystery of the church, not limited to just the invisible, but also the visible. Because ecclesiology can study church buildings, iconography, steeples, crucifixes, the gathering of people into space, all the things that make up what we call the church. That's ecclesiology. We get that word from the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word for gathering. And what we translate it as is church. Meaning 
a bunch of people get together for one common aim or one common goal. When the creed says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it's saying, I believe in a set-aside universal gathering. Because holy is set aside. I believe in a set-aside people. They're not like other people. They're universal in that they don't have a country or a flag or a tongue or a, a skin tone or... They, they are a people, not a bunch of peoples separated. They are a people, and they're ecclesia. They're gathered together. So even though they may be scattered in different parts of the globe, they're gathered together around something. So going to church constitutes coming to a space, but that's just the action of going. It's not the action of being. Because we don't just go to a church, we are the action of the gathered out ones. And that's what we're talking about. So let's deal with them. I don't want to deal with them in order. I want to deal with the, the elephant in the room one, the Catholic one first. You deal with the one that you choke on first. Let's move on with that one. And that is little c, a word that means universal. The reason why we call the Catholic big C church, why they call themselves Catholic is because in the and this is too much church history for a Sunday morning, I know, but just enough to say that as the church was codified around a singular thought, they grabbed hold of the idea from the creed to go, well, we are that singular thought, Catholic. It then took nearly a thousand years for us to get to the Protestant movement of Martin Luther, who protested against indulgences or you must go to a man to receive forgiveness. And things I'm glad we protested against. Protestant, root word, protest. We're a people born out of protest, essentially. So to lean back into the little C Catholic is to say, but we're bigger than just a protest movement. We're bigger than just evangelical. We're bigger than just the garden. We're part of the broader and the greater thing called the church of Jesus Christ. Little C, we incorporate his church, he said, I'll build my church, not our church, not, not my church, but his church. And so we had to make a decision here. What do we want to build on? Well, part of what we build on is relationships and family. We're name tagging. We're, we're three months old as a Sunday morning gathering. So the name tags are so that you can know someone that you don't know because there's a lot of people moving in and out and it helps me and maybe it helps you and it's not something you have to participate in. It's not something that's permanent for 10 years at the garden, but it's a spot. And, and the reason for little things like that is because what we're trying to do is build on relationships and knowing people and caring about them. That's why there's space carved out for, hey, so-and-so is sick and this is going on in their life. And please remember them when you pray. Because we're not asking something from you, but we're asking for you to participate in the gathering, the, the ecclesia, the, that which is called out. So we try to build it on that. We're, we're building it on the Eucharist table where we take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And we don't do that once a year, twice a year, big Christian holidays. But every time we come together because the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus at communion links us to something bigger than us across centuries. And so we're building on communion. We're building on fellowship, relationship, family. And we're making a concerted effort to watch what we don't build on. Because it's important that as he builds his church, we 
recognize the areas where we put our hands into the involvement, sort of put our hands into the menu, into the recipe, and, and involve ourselves. And so um, you can build on music. You can build on talent. You can build on programs. You can build on ministries. You can build on activity. You can build on stuff. And churches do it all the time. And I'm not saying we won't have ministries and activities and stuff. But this is something I think about literally every day in our space is what do we want to become out of the gate, out of the blocks? What kind of a space do you want to be that when they walk in, that's the takeaway? It's not that they tried to do this or perform this or, or minister to that, but that was I, was I embraced? Was I loved? Was I able to be myself? As far as I'm concerned, the universality of the church is to bring us into a space that looks as much like Jesus as possible. And Jesus had an adulterous woman thrown at his feet, and instead of picking up a rock and hitting her in the head with it, which is what the Torah told him he could do, because she committed adultery and got caught doing it, he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. If you've got a sin-free existence, you go ahead and stone her. Well, I don't think there's anyone that comes in here in a sin-free existence. I don't think there's anybody that comes in here worthy to stone someone else. And so we create a space free from condemnation, free from guilt and free from shame, but hopefully a space where you can come in and drop your mask and be the real you and let who you really are come to the surface to meet who he really is. That's part of what it means to be the church. And it's part of what it means to be community. And so when we say Catholic, when we say universal, I do this because I want us to find something deeper than we are. In, in just a gathering, but something deep to the roots of who we are as a people. And so, rather than looking at all the other churches and going, what can we do different than that church? That sets us apart from another church so that we try to define ourselves better or different. Rather than that be how we think of other gatherings, Let's think about what makes us part of that gathering. We, this is a paradox, I know. We are apart from them, but we are part of them. We are apart from them in that we gather in this space. We are part of the church in that we agree on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, what do we disagree on? Well, my goodness. All kinds of stuff. And this is what's caused us to have 43,000 Protestant denominations and growing. 43,000 different expressions. Did you know most of our denominational differences are on fine points of theology? I was raised in Pentecostal charismatic environments. And there was fine line differences in Pentecostal denominations. that were, They were stacked up this close with fine lines between what made you this kind of charismatic and what made you this kind of charismatic and what made you this kind of charismatic. And it, it had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It had nothing to do with believing in a resurrected Jesus. It had nothing to do with God the Creator. It had nothing to do with anything we say in the creed. It had to do with all kinds of formulas and patterns. What words were said over you when you were baptized? Whether or not you had this physical verbal response to your salvation. Whether you prayed this specific word when you got saved. 
I, I didn't make any of those up. That was literally three distinct, and that was just off the top of my head, three distinctive strands of essentially the same thing. And we couldn't even get along. You couldn't even have a church dinner with, if this group met this group. <laughs> I mean, these people believed that if you didn't get baptized this way, and then these people believed if you got baptized, that's worth just going hog wild in a fight in a parking lot over with if you need to, because man, that's, that's division. And it, it blows my mind now of how little I got to encounter people of different opinions, different ideas, different thought processes, different ways of seeing the Bible. Because if they were wrong about that one little thing that I thought I was right about, then they were wrong about everything. And we didn't just say, well, they're just a little bit wrong. We'd say, no, no, they're not even saved. And guys, when you go down this road, you know what ends up happening? The only ones saved are the ones right here. Everybody else is lost. And that's why we got to get them out of those other churches. Get them into our church so they get saved. No. And so the church universal has little to do with being right about all the finer points of theology. It's, it's, it's those universal set of beliefs that we have as Christians. And I mean, if I had to distill it down to one thing, you say, what's Paul White believe in? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you. If I had to distill it down to one sentence, God is a loving Father, and He is alive. God is a loving Father, and He is alive. What do you mean He is alive? Jesus is alive. Jesus has resurrected from the dead and is alive. I firmly believe in a resurrected Savior. These are the things that we distill down into greater length in the creed, but this is, this is what makes universality out of the church. Okay, that's Catholic. What's holy mean? Okay, holy has little to do with clothes, tongue, hair, makeup, dresses. You can tell my, my Pentecostalism is coming through because <laughs> that was holy. How, you, how long your sleeves were, whether or not the woman wore a dress and how long it was, whether or not she cut her hair, or wore makeup. Those were external. And by the way, those were fine lines of fighting, by the way. This one, your hair could be this long. This one, your sleeves could be this long. This one, your dress had to be that long. Just depending on what name was over your door, whether or not you were really saved or whether or not you were really holy. Holy, by the way, holy is another word for set aside or sacred. It's just not like everything else. Okay? By the way, secular doesn't mean evil. It means common. So when I say in the secular world, because I'll reference that in preaching, the secular world, I don't mean the evil world, I mean the world outside of the sacred. So there's the common world, there's the everyday thing, there's what you see every day, and then there's the holy or the sacred. That's set aside. The church is holy by definition, not because of how she dresses or whether or not she wears makeup. She's holy because she's not like a club. She's not a bar. She's not a country club or a civic organization. She's a set-aside group of those who believe on a resurrected Christ and who are disciples of Jesus. And so you are not holy by what you do. You are holy in that you're not common. You're not ordinary. This is what makes you different. And so I admittedly try to carve a slice here at the garden to where when you walk in, it feels a little different. We're doing that on purpose. Not because by doing that we become holy, but because we get to encounter the fact that we are holy. 
You understand what I mean by that? Not so that we become holy, but so that we get to encounter the fact that we already are. That we are a unique people, that we are a different people, that we are not. And this is why we cheapen our gatherings if we bring all the stuff from the outside into it to try to enhance sermons. So as your pastor, I don't spend hours and hours a week watching cable news so I can get up here and give you a spiritual definition of what's going on in the Middle East. Those kind of things. Or give you a gospel rendering of how you ought to vote. Because we don't have time to pull in the secular in a world full of the secular and still call ourselves the holy. Because the holy means we are not like that which is on the outside. And I didn't tell you don't watch the news. I didn't tell you don't be political. I'm telling you that the sacredness of what we are as a church is not to be what we are outside of that space and to come into this spot as the, and that brings us to the third part, church, ecclesia, what it means to be gathered. Okay, first of all, gathered ones, plural, by definition, the church is plural, not singular. It became really popular in the last quarter century to say things like, oh, I don't go to church. I am the church. Did you hear that? That one's popular. You might have even used it. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying it's become quite the thing. I'm not, I don't go to church. I am the church. I know what you mean. I respectfully disagree. And here's why. Because church by definition is a plural word. It's the gathered ones. It's not the gathered one. <laughs> you are not the church solo. You are part of the church plural. And so I know what we mean when we say, I don't go to church, I am the church. We're trying to say that the church isn't confined to a building, right? And we're not wrong to say the church isn't confined to a building. But please don't look at yourself as individually the church, because when you do that, you find that you are not in need of the community around you. So notice, when Jesus builds his church, he said, on this rock, I build my church. Personally, I don't believe Jesus means Peter. I believe Jesus means the revelation that Peter received. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't show you that. In other words, we don't build churches on flesh and blood. Boy, we've tried. Actually, let me scratch that. We always build churches on flesh and blood. Jesus doesn't build churches on flesh and blood. We build it on the backs of people and getting them to work for God and doing things. Jesus builds his church through revelation. He reveals himself to people and they want to follow him. And they want to be around other people that follow him. So as Christ reveals himself, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The spirit, my father revealed this to you. As it's revealed to Peter, Christ builds the church out of that. But notice that whenever Christ builds anything in his earthly ministry, he, he builds it plural. He brings multiple people in. And he risks the fact that you're going to bring in a bad seed once in a while. Jesus ends up with 12 apostles. One of them betrays him to death. Another one denies him on the night of his crucifixion. That means one-sixth of his followers are not faithful disciples at the, last, at the moment when it matters the most. Which tells me 
that the church is not comprised of people doing everything right. But it's comprised of people who follow Jesus and often fail in following Jesus. So saying that we are the holy universal church is not to say a bunch of people getting things right, but rather to say a bunch of people following the Jesus who we believe to be the right so that we follow him into life. So we're connected by whom we believe, not by what we believe. Let me talk about mission for a moment, because go, go back to Matthew 18. This is where we finished our reading, but there's a couple of things here that I want you to see, and one of them's not, not obvious. One of them's in the Greek. I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, verse 19, agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The word agree is the Greek word symphonio. Symphonio is where you get the English word symphony. And a symphony requires multiple instruments to be playing in the same rhythm and in the same key, but not necessarily the same instrument. A symphony has violins and violas and cellos and tubas and trombones and trumpets and oboes and clarinets and flutes, and we can go on and on and on and on and on. And a G chord is a G chord in a clarinet, the same as it is in a trumpet, but a clarinet and a trumpet don't sound the same, which is a beautiful thing. If they're both playing the same note, it's the same note, but it sounds different. The church is comprised of a symphony of voices. We are common in our aim. We're common in what we believe in that we believe in a resurrected Christ. But some places are violins and some places are trumpets. You understand the, the difference? Jesus said, if you can become that, then there's no limits to what can happen. If you can get an agreement, he says, if two or three of you gather together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. But he just told them in the previous verse that the requirement was not just to three people to get in the same room, but that three people play the same song, the same symphony. That's what the church is doing is playing the same symphony. It's proclaiming the resurrected Christ through different instruments, through different instrumentations. And as far as I see it, the church has three ways of being missional. I'll use these three ways as I land the plane to, for you today. Charismatic, baptismal, Eucharistic. Don't worry about if you memorize words, but memorize the concept because it's important about what we are as a called out people. Charismatic means proclamation. It's an old Greek word for proclaim. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so the church is a proclamation place. Most of my life in Christianity, Christianity compri was comprised of an invitation. I can't, you came to church. We had church. Someone preached at you. Notice I said they preached at you. Someone preached at you and then gave you an invitation. And the invitation was a literal moment in the service where you were invited to come pray a prayer, come accept Jesus, come... Nothing wrong with invitations. Invitations are great. Depends on what you're being invited to, right? I mean, if you're being invited to a good old-fashioned beating, you should probably reject the invitation. Well, a lot of times, that's exactly what we were being invited to. If you don't respond to this invitation, you get a good old-fashioned spiritual beating. And so sometimes that was the way it was preached. And then we were invited to come and avoid the wrath of God or avoid judgment. 
But I want you to know the gospel is less about invitation and more about proclamation. And so what is being proclaimed is that we are in the kingdom of God. Christ is alive and well. We have a good father. And so when we come together as a church, our job is charismatic. It's to be a proclaiming place. Welcome. Welcome into a space where God has already finished the work. Welcome into a space where the judgment has been placed in Christ so it's not placed in you. Welcome. A proclamation of the goodness of God. I hope it's proclaimed to you in a way that you grasp it, that you take it with you, that you go home with it. I mean, I invite you to follow Jesus, absolutely. But I think that sometimes we've put the cart before the horse. We put the invitation out there without a proclamation of why. And so that's a lot of times why we've used scare tactics to try to get people to follow Jesus. And scare tactics to get people to follow Jesus have to be followed with more scare tactics to get people to continue to follow Jesus. And so if you bring people in by scaring them, how are you going to keep them? You got to keep right on scaring them. And then we become a place rotating around an invitation to avoid disaster rather than a place with a proclamation that the work has been finished. This is why Paul said we preach Christ crucified. It's why Paul also said if Christ is only crucified but not resurrected, we're still in our sins. So the apostle Paul preached Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. And so what we do is preach your sins crucified in Christ so that a brand new you can be resurrected. And I'm not just talking about resurrection someday. We'll preach that in a couple weeks, that there's a resurrection of the body. But a resurrection we get to participate in now in which we are alive in Christ and we get to live that life out on the earth. That's a proclamation. Good news. Proclamation's been made. Not simply an invitation. And so if we get to the end of the service here every week and you go, why doesn't he invite people up there to say a prayer and accept Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because I want you to walk into following him because you've responded to the proclamation over the invitation. And I'm not scared of your soul or your spirit to the point that I feel the need to rush you into following Him. I want you to learn to follow Him because He's the best thing out there. I want you to learn to follow Him because you saw Him in your neighbor's eyes and they loved you in spite of yourself. And they accepted you. And they embraced you. And you said, I want to follow that. What would that look like to live that life on the earth? To experience the life of God. And as the proclamation is made, people respond in following. That's our job. That's our mission. That's our charismatic. Our proclamation is good news. That's only one of the things we do. Two, the church is baptismal. And what that means? Well, it's not just that we baptize in water. We do. Water baptism is a living sign of what we have stepped into so that you don't get accidentally baptized <laughs> right so well, i went to church and i don't know what happened they just they had a baptistry and we just lined up and got baptized. that never happens that way we don't allow it to happen that way why because there's no accidental stepping into the death of christ and the resurrection of christ you step into the waters of baptism on purpose you step into the waters of baptism to identify that everything that is you goes down into everything that is Jesus so that everything that is Jesus comes up in you. 
Let me say that again. That's, that's baptism in its core. Everything that is you goes down into the death of Jesus so that everything that is Jesus comes up in a newness of your life and that you start to walk that out, not through perfection, but through his life living through you. And that's why we're baptismal. But we're not just baptismal in a one-time event. Hey, line up and get baptized. We're baptismal in our lives. We are every day living out our baptism. And we'll finish our baptism when we die. When we die, we finish the baptism we started. The last thing left to die is this body. Because everything else has already been buried in Christ. And we've just been living that out. And as we've been living that out in our resurrected reality, we're making a proclamation of the life that is. Not just the life you see, but the life you could have. And this is why part of our baptismal mission is to constantly preach resurrection because resurrection is, hey, the sun's coming up, right? So that means that no matter what's going, in, going on in your life today, there's hope, there's a tomorrow. It's also why we're never really finished. You see, you are the righteousness of God in Christ because of who Jesus is, but that doesn't mean everything in your life's going well. We're baptismal in that we're always taking our issues to Him. We're baptismal in that we're taking them to him so that they can go into his death. We're baptismal in that we keep going back to the doctor. I don't mean the physical doctor. I mean the spiritual doctor. You see, sitting right here in this room, and I don't, I don't even know what I'm, I don't know who I'm talking about. I just know, I know me. So if I know me, I might know you just a little bit. And what I mean by that is I know Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ and I've been baptized and I, I attempt to follow him every day. But I got problems and I got issues. And some of them are my own ignorance. And some of them are, are my own fault and some of them are stuff done to me. Stuff people said to me and did to me and hurt me and abused me and wounded me and scarred me. And I'm living out of those scars a little bit. So are you. It's why you respond the way you do. It's why we say stuff like, you don't know how I was raised. Mm -hmm. You're right, I don't. And that is why you are the way you are, at least to an extent. You go, yeah, but that's no excuse. And you're right again. It's not an excuse to ignore. It is an excuse in action. It is the way, reason you act the way you act and think the way you think. But it's not an excuse to ignore because you're baptismal. Because you're baptismal, that you went into the death with the hope that a new you's coming out. And this is why as a baptismal people, we keep going back to the baptizer so that the great physician revisits our heart and looks into our life and says that even though my friend, even though my son is righteous, he has a wound in there that's affecting the way he treats his spouse or the way he governs himself. And I don't love him less, and he's no less saved. But I want to go to work on that. So when I say the church is baptismal, I mean, we are constantly, all of us, stepping into that. Every week, every day, Father, there's something in me. And, and as we listen, this is why I told you earlier, that now I see what, a part of why I told you earlier. That it's not just about clarity. I don't even pray you have clarity. I pray you have trust because you're going to see stuff. You're not going to know how to fix it. 
You're going to see stuff in you and you have no idea. And it's okay. Father, I don't know how to fix it. I don't even know if I need to fix it. I trust you to do it. And as you pull me in and you go, listen, this is why we need church. This is why we need community. Because when you come into the community, you come into the baptismal community. You guys don't know what I learned watching you. You don't know what I learn about my life and how I govern myself watching you govern yourself. And I don't know what you learn watching me and what you learn watching your neighbor. That's part of that baptismal experience. And thirdly, so we're charismatic in that we proclaim the gospel. We're baptismal in that we're a living sign of those who've entered into his death and resurrection. Thirdly, we're Eucharistic. Where two or three gather together and agree what we're doing is consuming the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we use the phrase Eucharist, Eucharist is an old Greek word for thanksgiving. So what we're technically saying is we're thankful. But what are we thankful for? Crackers and juice? <laughs> no. We're thankful for the broken and resurrected body, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the broken body and the shed blood. What do they represent to us as the body of Christ? And so we don't just take communion alone. We take communion within community. Did you notice the root of both? Communion, community, communication. You don't, com you don't just communicate with yourself. You communicate plural. You don't have community with yourself. You have community plural. You don't just commune with yourself. You commune plural. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church to wait on each other. Now, I, I'm being very careful here because in reality, I actually believe you taking communion by yourself is okay. All right, so if you're at home and, and the Holy Spirit leads you to take communion, take communion. But it's not the way of the church to take communion alone. It's the way of the church to take community, communion in community. Here's why. Paul says to the Corinthians, wait for your brother. He talks about some of you being weak in the faith. And so the truth is, is that as we take communion, we're Eucharistic in that we take communion together because we all bring what we are to the table. We all bring our faith to the table. So that I'm going to have things I believe God for in communion that maybe you struggle with. And you're going to have things you believe God for that maybe I struggle with. But we take communion as a community because we bring everything we are as a community to Him to receive everything that He is. Broken body, shed blood of the Lord Jesus. This is to be in the same sound together, symphonio, to agree. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, small c, if you on your mind want to say universal, fine. I don't like changing the language because you're going you're to say the creed with other people. And if you've created your own language, you've simply created your own prayer. And so as you say, Holy Catholic Church, you're simply saying, I belong to the set aside universal body of Christ. And what do we know about that? It's a place that proclaims good news. It's a baptismal experience of living out the life and resurrection of Christ. And it's taking the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it's receiving it in community, in space. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And this is why we invite you to take communion, whether you call yourself a member of the garden or not, or whether you've ever made a public profession to us of your faith, because it's not my table. It's not the garden's table. It's the Lord's table.
And so your invitation becomes to partake of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also why when you do, we say over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, so that you realize that individually He died for you. And corporately, we receive that as a family. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I'm talking to the church today, and I'm talking to the church in community today, which means I'm talking to the church of Jesus Christ in one space, but we're, we're way past that. We know we're not just the community of Christ in one space. We're a part of the community of Christ across space and time. And if you are struggling with that, then I want to create space for you right now to struggle. That's okay. It's a safe space to wrestle with that and struggle with it. You know, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. It's okay. You know, I don't know if about this following Jesus. I don't know about this way of baptism, this way into death and resurrection. That's okay. I'm just here to proclaim to you who He is. That's what this church exists for, to proclaim who He is. Do we invite you? Absolutely. I invite you. You're about to be invited to the Lord's table. You don't have to accept that invitation. This is why we don't pass it around because we don't want to pass it around and you feel like you have to partake. That's why we, we, we allow you to just come and partake. Because that is your invitation on the backside of a proclamation. Father, thank you for the garden church. Thank you for every person involved. Thank you for everyone who has put a little slice of their life into this today. Thank you for this little season where we get to step aside from the world and move into that thin space, that sacred space that's not common. Thank you that we are the holy universal church. We're part of it. We're not it. We're part of it. It's way bigger than us. Thank you that it's way bigger than us. Thank you that right now all over the world there are expressions of this church that are playing the same note with a different instrument. Father, thank you that we can appreciate that and help us to do so in the months ahead. And as we partake together, we thank you and we praise you that we are the church in community and may we realize that we're never the church out of community. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.